Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Hi, everyone. You know, ancient Israel did not have a corner on immorality and apostasy. It wasn't as though only Israel turned apostate. However, Israel, once created, was the central figure in God's word, and God did not hesitate to point out their victories as well as their failures, tragic failures, and that happened often. Now, what happened within Israel was due to their rejection of God and his rule over their lives. It's as simple as that. And as they continued rejecting God and his rule, they would simply sink further and further away from God into the immoral abyss that captures every society that does the same thing. Now, this same truth exists for all nations and all people individually. So people who reject God follow the trajectory outlined in Romans 1 by Paul. It's not pretty. And it ends in absolute tragedy. People make up nations. And when the majority of people in any nation reject God and his moral code, insanity, stupidity, and blatant immorality ensues and becomes the norm. Now, you know, unfortunately today, many people believe that just by changing politicians, the tone of the country will improve. Well, it might for a while, but in reality, it doesn't last because it doesn't really work that way. The only thing that will ultimately improve a person or a society is a move back toward God. Instead, what are we seeing? We are seeing so many awkward and actual immoral things that go against common sense, let alone against God's laws happening throughout global society. So these things will eventually create the downfall of any society. And there are numerous examples of this, not only throughout scripture, but history itself. But for instance, the book of Judges is an extremely interesting book and at times tragically sad after Joshua's death. Here's a text. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now that text from Judges 17.6 tells us There was no human king who governed the land of Israel. This was before then. And it also means, unfortunately, and probably most importantly, that God himself was no longer recognized as king over Israel. And this was the case solely because the people of Israel had grown to ignore and forget God over time, choosing to live as they wished. And that mainly meant living for self. This was a cycle Israel repeated. That self-centered trait that they exhibited existed then, and guess what? You know it as well as I do. It exists now in society where people will ignore God to suit themselves. They'll live how they want to live, even ignoring government-passed laws if they believe they can get away with it. Now, in the days of ancient Israel, there were plenty of people who lived with no concern for God's laws and consequently no concern for what was actually the right thing to do. But what is interesting is in Judges 17 and 18 that we're going to look at today, 
And that's when we see the problem extended to the people who were actually Levitical tribe people. They were from the tribe of Levi, from which priests came and should have known better. Now, not all Levites were priests, but all priests were from the tribe of Levi. Interestingly enough, in Judges 17, we read about a guy named Micah. Now, before we get into any detail here, it's good to understand that unlike the previous chapters of Judges, those before chapter 17, this section, Judges 17 through 21, which is really two different stories, but it's all part of the same thing, it seems to have been included in Judges not to highlight any particular judges God used, but to shed light on the actual condition of of Israel's apostasy from God and the results of that apostasy. And it's important to understand that. And this is one reason why God's word is what it is, because God points out the flaws in his people, not merely the victories. He wants us to understand the ramifications of when people chose to abandon God's laws and effectively their relationship with him. So there's the danger for us as well. But there's always hope that God will not abandon us even when we dig our heels in rebellion. So we have Micah, and he's having a conversation with his mother about some silver that apparently he had stolen from her. Well, he enjoyed riches to the point that it pulled him away from God, and he actually was willing to steal from his mother. Here's a quote from Dr. Thomas Constable. The writer told us nothing about Micah's background, except that he originally lived in the hill country of Ephraim, or Ephraim, with or near his mother, verses 1 and 2. Micah's name means, who is like Yahweh, as is true of so many details in this story, Micah's name is ironic. He was anything but like Yahweh, unquote. So you get this sense that the writer of Judges mocked Micah every step of the way. Certainly the fact that Micah's name actually meant who was like Yahweh was a mockery in and of itself because, as Dr. Constable said, he was nothing like Yahweh in life. So right off the bat, Micah confesses to his mother that he stole her silver, verses 1 and 2. What was her response? Well, you think she'd be upset? Well, apparently she blessed Micah, verse 2, the second part there. To be Really? Yes, really. She blessed him. The 1,100 pieces of silver that Micah stole was enough to give one person at the time a decent living for the rest of their life. Micah seems to have confessed his thievery in a possible attempt to avoid her curse. Now, the whole story gets a bit stranger, though. Mom says she dedicated all that silver to the Lord, right? But then she turns around and gives 200 pieces of the 1,100 to the local silversmith to create an idol. Yes, an idol for worship. So Micah then brings it into his house. And some commentators note that in actuality, two images may have been made, not just one, a carved image and a molded image, verse 3b. And let's also note that Micah had an ephod that he had made and placed it in the shrine in his home with the other idols, verse 5. He had something going on here with his uh, idolatry right in his own home. He probably used the ephod for purposes of divination. So here is an Israelite who thought to himself that he could have carved images and poured images made into idols that he would worship, and then he would also have an ephod made 
that only the high priest was supposed to have and wear. And he would use those items in his manner of worship, whatever that was. But of course, he wasn't worshiping God of Israel. He was simply worshiping demons. Oh, and lest we forget, Micah apparently, quote unquote, this is interesting, consecrated his own sons to be his priests for his home. I find that interesting, don't you? He decided he was going to make his sons priests, even though they were not from the tribe of Levi. Now, I found it fascinating myself that over the years, many of the churches we have attended and were members of, and this goes all the way back to when I was a young teenager, they either had sons of the senior pastor or maybe the senior pastor's father as staff members. In other words, many pastor's sons tend to follow their father into the pastorate. And this is not to say, by the way, that all of them were not called by God. I don't know. But it's almost as though many pastors think of the pastorate like the Levitical priesthood from the line of Aaron. If you were from Aaron's lineage, you could be a priest. If not, no go. So do these pastors see their pastorate in the same way? Is that the way they see their sons? Isn't being a pastor a special calling that God places on a person's life? Well, then the story concerning Micah gets even more interesting because another character is introduced. He's a Levite from the tribe of Levi. Notice what the text says about him in 7 and 8. Now, there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, and uh, he was a Levite and was staying there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Unquote. Okay, that's that's interesting. So here's this Levite from Bethlehem who set out to find a place. What does that mean? Well, first of all, the Levites were instructed by God through Moses to live in one of the 48 cities that God told Moses to set aside for them in Numbers 35, 1 to 8. Yet this particular Levite, he chose to leave. He was just looking for greener pastures. He was trying to just find a place. This particular Levite was not called by God to set out for another location, as Abraham had been called. This one just simply set out to find what he could find. He was going on a walkabout, and God doesn't appear to be in the picture at all. Well, the Levite's introduced because he eventually meets Micah, who saw an opportunity to improve his own situation. Why have sons that he had consecrated when he could actually have a man from the tribe of Levi whom he could have as his own priest, even though the Levite wasn't a priest. Here's some more of the text, verses 10 through 13. Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you 10 shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man became like one of his sons to him. So Micah consecrated the pre, the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me, since I have a Levite as a priest. Hmm. So we learn here in these verses that this is exactly what happens. Micah seems ecstatic that he now is his own priest. And notice, apparently Micah thought he had the authority to consecrate this guy to become a priest, even though he was not, again, from the tribe, um, particular lineage, excuse me, of Aaron. 
Well, then check out Micah's attitude when he when it's all said and done and he thinks, oh, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. Um, okay, what does that remind you of? Well, it reminds me of just how often some people think God is there for them to use. People then, as today, often believe God is some type of talisman or good luck charm who will bring blessing regardless of how we live. So Micah now has a Levite who he has consecrated as a priest. And notice that he worked to deal with him to essentially give him room, board, and a paycheck. Don't forget, he's got all that silver for mom, right? So the Levite is no better than Micah because he clearly set out to find a cushy situation for himself. And that situation reminds me of the many faith healers and fake ministers like them who seem to have gone into ministry solely to get rich, to make their lives more comfortable, and to do so off the backs of average people. It's like welfare for con artists. You know, con artists don't want to work. They just want people to give them money. And it's a game to them. It's a challenge. They prefer to be taken care of and will give back to the people what the people want to hear. That's what they specialize in. They do this to keep their vaunted position over them when when in actuality, they have zero concern for the people over which they, quote unquote, minister to. They are terrible shepherds, the prophets spoke of, who really have zero concern for the sheep, Ezekiel 34, 2 through 10. When you get an extra minute, you should read that, Ezekiel 34, 2 through 10. Now, Micah was by no means innocent and clearly deceived because he rejected God's rules. That's part of what happens. When you reject God, you become deceived and you start doing things that are wrong and stupid, but you don't get it. He knew what he was getting and incorrectly believed that God would bless him because he now had a Levite in his house that he had consecrated as a priest. He was deceived into thinking this, but why? Well, it all started back in Judges 17.3 when we learned Micah had a habit of worshiping idols and using divination to gain knowledge and quote-unquote wisdom. You know, it's interesting today that too many Christians can't find their way around the Bible. But they all want God to speak to them. And above all things, they want God to bless them. Isn't that something? Micah and the Levites show us that religion and even the concept of God can be thoroughly used for self-aggrandizement and enrichment. And oftentimes it is. Christians need to be far removed from such living and thinking. We need to eliminate all idols and draw close to God. This is done through his word, through prayer, and submission to his will. Wherever he leads us, we are to be a reflection of his love and light, which is truth, to a world that is dying. And if you don't know the Bible, you don't know the truth. You may know the truth through salvation because God is truth, but that's it. He reveals so much about himself in his word. And if we're not reading it every day, thinking about it, meditating, memorizing it, we're not going to advance. We're not going to become spiritually mature. We're always going to be like those people in Corinth who just need milk all the time, but they should be well beyond that. Can you imagine standing before God after you die, trying to come up with some excuse as to why you never or hardly ever read his word, the very book he wrote to tell us about him, 
his plans and how he works in our lives? I shudder when I think of the fact that I don't know his word better than I do. Living for God is the opposite of what occurred in Judges 17 and 18, which highlights people who lived for self. Totally. That's all they did. Self was on the throne. We need to be all in on living for God, and our lives need to be filled with compassion and love for the lost. That will happen. That will grow within us. The more time we spend in his word, the more time we discuss things with God, the more time we trust and learn to trust him more for provision and for guidance and discernment, it'll happen. But that's what we need to be doing. Now, next time we're going to look at Judges 19 through 21 as our backdrop for understanding how to live as Christians in a depraved world. So I hope you join me then. In the meantime, I pray that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 